I made a statement a couple Wednesday nights ago about talking about recalibrating your vision. And in and, and Numbers 12, when they sent uh, the spies out to look at the land, God told them, this is the land I'm giving you. And yet when they came back, they said, man, the fruit looked good. Here's some of it. But there's giants in the land and we can't occupy it. So I made the comment, how do you know when your vision needs to be recalibrated? And I said, it's when your giant is bigger than your promise. And if you hear stories of God moving in someone else's life, and your thought is, well, I don't know why that doesn't happen to me, or I, I don't know, God, God just isn't doing that in my life, I want to submit to you that maybe your giant is bigger than your promise. Because the whole purpose of testimony is, as Pam said, God, do it again. And for me, it was, it was good because I'll tell you, this time I was in the right camp. I told you I've been in both camps. This time I was in the right camp. And, and quite frankly, we're believing God for some things financially, that to, for things to happen so that we have an opportunity to go overseas. So even though this didn't affect me where it was anything where God showed up and did anything on my behalf, faith came the moment I heard it to begin to believe God even more for what God is wanting to do for us. So many times, if, if we, and, and we've heard the story a lot. I have taught it a lot. And I've taught it all from the wrong side a lot. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. We have this story, and if your Bible has a header, it says the prodigal son. And I have taught this and taught this and taught this. About the son who says, I want my provision now. And when the father gives it to him, he goes out and waits every penny of it. And is absolutely destitute, comes to his mind, and you know the story. The whole thing about how he comes back. But I want to submit something to you because I begin to see this in a completely different, different way. This, you and I relate to the son because that's kind of how we are and how we feel at times. But I want to tell you the story isn't so much about the son. is the story is about having an extravagant father. Because the father did something when the son came to him and said, I want my inheritance now which was unheard of in that culture, the father said, sure. And he divided it not only to his younger son, but also to his older son as well. The father was there to give and was extravagant in his giving, even against the culture of the day. The son goes out and wastes it all, comes to his mind and says, even my father's servants have more than enough bread. He was such a giver, he made sure that all his servants were well cared for. And so the son come, decides to come back and say, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son, make me a hired servant. And it says, while he was a long way off, the father saw him and ran to him. Something else in that culture. You wore robes down to your ankles. For you to run, a male had to raise his robe up and tuck it in his belt. And that was a shameful act to show your legs. So the father was willing to bear shame just so he could get to his son. 
Now, the other thing that took place is when someone shamed a family or a city, the elders of that city, is if the son would try and come back or the person would try and come back, they had this ceremony where they took this earthen jar and they would have the mom come out and kiss him on the cheek. The father couldn't even attend. He had to stay indoors. They would break that earthen vessel and say, you are forever dead to this family and you are forever dead to this town. You are no longer welcome within its gates. One of the reasons why the father was running, he knew he had to get to his son first. Because he knew what would happen if the elders beat him. He had to get to his son first. And when he did, he puts the robe on him of glory and of honor. He puts a ring on his finger, a sign of authority saying, you now have all the ability to transact business once again in my name, just like it was me. And he put shoes upon his feet because servants walked barefooted. There's no sign of a rebuke from the father. The son shows up and he extravagantly gives again. And even when the older son shows up and says, you've not done anything for me and my friends. What's the father's comment? All I have is yours. So I want to tell you, we take a look at that from the aspect of the son. But I'm telling you, we've forgotten how extravagant our father is. We've forgotten what kind of father we serve. What kind of father, what kind of family we're in. So that's kind of the intro lead-in. Pastor's been talking a lot about community. And so we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to talk about a specific aspect of that as we get going. But in Genesis 126... God says, let us make man in our image. Now here's community. Well, you have a father. Not only here's community, here's family. You have a father, a son, and the Holy Spirit. Each one of them acting in perfect unity. Each one of them having a specific task that must be carried out. And in the, even in creation, you have the Father, you have the Spirit who's brooding over all of creation, and He spoke the Word, which was Jesus. So you see them working together in tandem through everything they do. Never one out of step, never one out of, out of sorts, never one lagging behind and not doing their part, you see community, each one fulfilling their part. And then in Genesis 2.18, and this kind of just blows me away because this was not my mindset. Now here's God and he's talking with Adam. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Now I don't know if you've ever thought about that this way. Adam wasn't alone. He was walking with God in the garden. And God's saying, you know what, Adam? Even that isn't enough. You've got to have others around you. 
See, so many times we think we can isolate ourselves. And even the original sin in the garden, when that happened, the first thing they did was separate and isolate themselves. And you and I have a tendency that we want to do that. And God is telling people, listen, you don't understand. You have to have other people. Adam, even you walking with me in the garden is not enough, even though I am all sufficient. You need to operate in community. You need to operate in a family. John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. Now most guys look at that and... And they hear that part about laying down your life, and they go, well, I'd take a bullet for them. I'd take a bullet for my bro. (laughs) That's not what he's talking about. That part's easy. Are you willing to lay your life down daily? Husbands, are you willing to lay down your life daily for your wife? Community. John or John uh, Ephesians four sixteen talks about the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies. Each part has a function and a purpose. Each part has a skill set, and I can't do without your skill set. I can't do without your part. And unfortunately for some of you, you can't do without mine. We've got to have each other. And we've all got to fulfill our part. Matthew 20.28 The Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. I'm going to ask you a question. When you come to church, do you come to serve? Or do you come to be served? Do you come to sit and just gather and glean what you can without giving back? What a word of encouragement. (laughs) See, because in community, everybody's got to do their part. And I've got to come with the mindset that I am here to serve. in In whatever capacity that is. And yes, part of that is finances. Part of my part in being in community is finances and the giving of finances in a church. Being community is about taking being in community is about taking responsibility. This is not Pastor Anthony's church. This is my church. And I'm responsible for its success. And I am responsible for its vision being fulfilled. Amen. 
you know, I got to tell you, if, if I can go, you know, we've been gone for the last three weeks. And while that's a lot of fun, it's difficult. Because as soon as I, the first week it's like, okay, by the second week, I start seeing your faces. And I start going, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. I wonder what's going on with them. I wonder what's happening. So-and-so just started a job. I don't know how that's going. I know so-and-so has been out of work. Have they found a... And it's difficult because I, I, I want to be so much a part of commu- the community of this place that when I'm not here, I feel like I have, I have undergone surgery and part of me is missing. How are we going to respond for us to do what God has called us to do in this city? We must become a community. We look at the church in the early part of Acts where it says they had all things in common. If anyone had need, they were giving and supporting that. And we look at that and say, we all need to return to that. But oftentimes we're not willing to do what it requires to get to that to that point. Now I will tell you, this is not a comfortable subject for me. I will say that uh, in all my years of speaking, I probably have never spoke on money, and we don't usually talk about that here at church. But if we are going to be part of community, we're going to have to address those issues. And we have to understand why we need to address it. Quite frankly, God doesn't need your money. He is all self-sufficient all by himself. However, for us to do what God has called us to do, we do need finances. You need finances to do what God has called you to do. This church needs finances to do what God has called it to do. And God is just not running a printing press in heaven and raining it down. He is going to use His children. But the reason why we are asked to give isn't because the church needs finances or anyone else needs finances. The reason why we're asked to give is because God understands what happens when we live open-handed. God's desire for us is to live in community, to live in this group open-handed with our church, open-handed with our brothers and sisters. It's interesting that God, Jesus makes the statement as he's teaching. And he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? 
See, we wouldn't think of as a natural parent withholding resources from our kids. God's not trying to withhold resources from his children. But he did put in place spiritual laws and principles on how things work. That we have to get in line with. Turn to, now that, now that we've done all that, turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at some other scriptures. Luke 16, verse 11. This is the story about the, the, the uh, unrighteous steward. And in verse 10 he says, who, He who is faithful in a very little thing is, also, is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon or wealth or money... Who will entrust to you the true riches? See, God has something Chris saying today. He has gifts he's wanting to give. But we got to meet some criteria. He is wanting to entrust us with the true riches and the way that that is going to happen is as we are faithful in our finances. There is something about the giving, the physical act of giving that has a spiritual release. And if we will not partake of this, the physical act of giving, that spiritual release is withheld. Not because God doesn't desire to give it to us. But because of laws that he set in motion. I know this is just such an uplifting message. But it is truth. And again, I do say, if there's issues as someone talks about this, and and quite frankly, I have been there and I can't tell you how many times. But it's interesting. You know, I'll, I'll put it this way. Before you got saved, if you heard someone preaching, chances are you probably got really disgusted and turned it off. If you were watching TV. After you got saved, that didn't bother you anymore. So just maybe. Why? Well, let me back up. Why did it not bother you anymore? Because that issue was settled. So if it bothers you when someone begins to get up and talk about kingdom finances and living in community with one another, maybe, just maybe, you need to ask yourself if you have settled that issue. And I've been there. And and let me say, I understand that there are people who are struggling financially. And understand as I stand up here, I'm standing up here as someone who has had a house taken from them. I am someone who has had 
different things happened where uh, uh, the, your one meal of the day was a baked potato. But I'm also one who stands here now and says, that is no longer the case. Because Benjamin finally woke up. So, turn to 2 Corinthians 9. And let's look at verse 7 and 8. Each one must do as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Rachel's comment earlier. And God is able to make all his all grace abound to you, so that you having always having all sufficiency in everything may have an abundance to give for every good deed. See, the purpose behind this is God is wanting you to have all sufficiency. But he knows there are certain steps you have to take to get there. And he says, let each one purpose in in his own heart. And we have all seen those people on TV. Well, hallelujah, I believe that there's a hundred people that are going to give $1,000. And if they will give $1,000 right now, God will pour out his blessings on you. That has nothing to do with each one deciding in their own heart. You get manipulated into giving. And it's wrong. And part of that is why we have sometimes a bad taste in our mouth when it comes to giving. And when it comes to talking about finances, because we've heard and seen those stories. We we, We were sitting in a church. We were sitting in a church in Texas that we were a part of. Thank God we're no longer a part of. Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. Paul was never in Marshall, Texas. And we've got a church of 600 people and probably 300 of them are out of work. Because the one business that supported the majority of the church collapsed the week before we showed up. (laughs) And they had a missionary come through. 600 people, half of them out of work. They gave $43,000 to fund a John Deere tractor for this missionary. And while that is a great thing, and I do not minimize that, the first giving belongs in the storehouse, according to Malachi. Your giving starts here before it's mission. And and, hey, I'm the missions director. Before you give to missions or anything else, your giving starts right here in this church for what takes place here. And people struggled and struggled and struggled because in some ways they got manipulated into doing something. And that's why you oftentimes don't hear people that don't want to talk about money because they don't, they know that goes on. But it doesn't change truth. That's right. 
So God's wanting to give us all sufficiency. 2 Timothy 3.17 says scripture was given. And it goes on. It says it's for reproof, correction, and all those things. And it says that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished for every good work. God is wanting you and I thoroughly furnished. That's his heart. Again, he's an extravagant father. But there's a spiritual principle that's at work. God states it in Genesis 1. Talks about, I've given you every seed-bearing plant that will produce, and, and fruits and trees that will produce after their own kind. Once the flood comes, and God has saved Noah, and they step out back out of the ark, God says, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. That's not only true in the plant kingdom, that's true in every area. Now, a farmer who plants a crop doesn't always see results the next day. So if your thoughts are, well, I tried that and it didn't work. I didn't see anything for the next two weeks. Yeah, I understand. There's times where God supernaturally says, I'm taking that as an act of faith and I'll show up and meet the need you have right now. But there's also part of that, that you're planting a crop that it's going to take some time to come up. See, and here's the statement that that I used. I am sowing into my future today while I reap from what I've sown in the past. I am sowing into my future today while I'm reaping from what I've sown in the past. Now see, a farmer wouldn't think anything about sowing 10 acres of, let's say, almonds... he would not expect to reap from 100 acres of almonds because he only sowed 10. Sometimes you and I, when we're in our situations financially, and when it's tight, I understand. That's why I want to go back to that verse that says, give as you have purposed in your heart. Start somewhere. Start planting seed somewhere. Start with an amount that you can be consistent with. Yes, God talks about the tithe. And that is where you want to get to. But when you're right in the middle of it sometimes, that becomes really hard to do. But if you will start and you will be faithful, you watch what God does. You start planting and believing God for increase. You start planting and believing God for more. You start planting and believing God for more. And then when it comes, don't eat your seed. My wife will tell you, this has been such a struggle for, I won't say us, just me. In times of our, in, in, in throughout, the, especially the earlier stages of our marriage. Because I didn't come from a church background. What's God need my money for? He doesn't. But what he needs is, Benjamin, for you to live open-handed. Because it says the just shall live by faith. faith. 
See, the, the biggest issue is when we start hanging on to stuff, it's because we don't believe God can replace it. And I say that from having been there year after year after year. And so learning to live open-handed goes against some of our natural instincts. Turn to Luke 6.38. Wow, I've got to wind this down and I've got so much more stuff to go. I don't know if that's praise the Lord that I'm winding it down or praise the Lord that I've got so much <laughs> Yes, thank you, Jesus. And I'm sure, I'm sure that's, there's both camps of that as well. So Luke 6.38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men... Into you. Now listen to what it reads in the Amplified. Gives and gives, give and gifts will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will they pour into the pouch formed by the bosom of your robe and used as a bag? For with the measure you deal out, with the measure you use when you confer benefits on others, it will be measured back to you. There's a story about a, uh, there was uh, a, person asking alms who had a bowl of rice. And a very rich man was walking by, and he said, Hey, would you give me your bowl of rice? And the gentleman asking in, in need of, of help was, became really indignant. And so he's thinking, I'm looking at this guy. He's got the robes and everything. He doesn't need my rice. This is all I've got to eat. And so he's wrestling with this, and he goes on and on. And the guy just asks him again, would you give me your bowl of rice? And so the person finally looks at him, and he takes his little whatever they used for a spoon, and he pulls out three little kernels of rice and hands it to the, to the rich man. And the rich man, rich man reaches in his pocket and pulls out three pieces of gold out of a bag that's huge and hands it to the man. How many of you know at that moment, that man was wondering, why didn't I give him the whole bowl? <laughs> with the measure you meet. With the measure you meet. It will be given back to you. See, you and I get to choose. Go back to 2 Corinthians. We'll finish it up with this. Now, I understand this isn't great revelation. I understand this isn't the exciting things that we like to get. We're going to start with verse 6 in, verse, uh, in chapter 9 this time. It says, remember this, he who sows sparingly will, and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly. 
And he who sows generously that blessings may come to someone will also reap generously and with blessings. Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purpose in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. Here's the part that I love. For God loves, he takes pleasure in, he prizes above other things and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt to do it giver whose heart is in his giving. God says he is unwilling to abandon someone who is joyful in their giving. When it's not under compulsion, when it's not feeling like it's a chore. Again, that's why I say start where you can be consistent and where it's not. I'm giving this grudgingly. And believe God for increase. Now, there's one other thing. Rachel, go ahead and come on up. I'm going to share one story and tell on myself one more time. There's a famine in the land because Elijah has said, it ain't raining until I say it rains. He created his own situation. So, God is supplying for him by a brook, and the brook dries up. Why does a brook dry up? There ain't been no rain. And so God then tells him, he says, I have commanded a widow woman. This is 1 Kings 17. I have commanded a widow in Zarephath to provide for you. What if Elijah had said, that's not the way I want you to provide, God. What would have happened if he'd have said, no, God, you've got to choose another source. And what did God have to do to the widow's heart? Because he, God said, I have commanded a widow woman to, to take care of you. Do you think maybe he, God had to get her attention and talk her into this as well? Doesn't say he just spoke to her and she said, hey, I'm up for that. No, he says, I've commanded her to do this. Now, God sent Elijah to someone who had not enough for their very self. And yet God still said, that is the method I am choosing to bless you through. You want to do it another way, you're stepping out from under where my provision is. Now let me tell you a story I tell on myself. We had, uh, we've had, you know, you, most of, us, of you know that our son has had some physical challenges. And we had just, uh, back when we were part of a, the church in Selma that I was just at, we were like three, maybe four years removed from that initial aspect of having him in the hospital and then telling us he was not going to survive. And yet we stood on God's word and watched God do some phenomenal miracle after miracle and after miracle. And he's 32 today. He was three, he was three months old when all that started. So a couple in the church, their son had a physical issue that happened and it wasn't major. And so we went down to the hospital and began to pour faith into them, just begin to speak to them about the very thing that we'd gone through and talk to them about faith and believing God. And God restored their child. We show up to church, and it's been like a week or two after that. 
And we get to the end of the service and our pastor at the time says, Benjamin and Pam, come on up here and stand up here. So we walk up there and stand and he, he called the other couple out. And he says, looked at the other couple and says, I want you to pray. You've just walked through this. I want you to pray for their son. My first thought, I can't tell you how angry I got. Doesn't he know? We just, their son went through nothing. Went through nothing compared to ours. And we had to nurse them through that. And now he's asking them to pray for me. I was calling the source that God wanted to use into question. And I couldn't believe that came up out of me. And I had to call that pastor after the service. And I said, I just told him the whole story. I said, I don't know where that come from. And he looked at me, he goes, I knew there was something going on there because he said, the look on your face. See, we don't always have the availability to choose the source that God wants to use. Because after all, it's his kingdom, his planet, his righteousness, his way of doing things, and ours is to cooperate. Don't despise the source that God is using to get you through this present time. Even if it's not quite bringing in all that you want it to bring, don't despise the source that he's using. But believe him for more. I want you to stand to your feet. We can't be done yet. I've still got two pages of notes. Father, I thank you today. Father, I thank you that you're uh, giving us a fresh perspective, Father, on what it means to be in community. What it means when you look at us and you say, God, I have need of thee. So, Father, I pray for all those that are experiencing lack in their lives right now. Father, I break that spirit and that mindset that says it's always been this way. It's not going to change. It will never be any different than it is right now. I break that in Jesus' name. And I say, Father, that you are extravagant in your giving as we learn to cooperate with the principles of your kingdom. So, Father, I just thank you and I give you praise. I thank you, God, for what you're wanting to accomplish. I thank you, Father, that you are more than able. Father, we declare that this is a land with good fruit. And that this is a land with much fruit. And it's a land where you have brought provision. And we're looking for it, Father. We're looking for where your provision is. Just like Elijah by the brook and the brook drying up. Isn't it interesting that we're in a drought right now? Maybe your brook is dried up. 
I'm telling you, God has got another provision and another source. 